top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. We have a very full show for you today. My colleague Jim Ward will start things off by going in-depth, discussing an audio clip from Peter Abraham, who's covered the Boston Red Sox for the Boston Globe since 2010. Jim will wrap up the episode by bringing us some Irish-American baseball history. In between, I'll be talking to Florida Atlantic head baseball coach John McCormick. The Irish Baseball Podcast is Brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. For more information, more content, and to become a member, head to irishbaseball.org. Here's Jim Ward. Thanks, Rick. We're now up to a segment featuring Peter Abraham. Peter Abraham is the beat writer for the Boston Red Sox on the Boston Globe. He is also a contributor to Red Sox baseball television broadcasts on our local Red Sox network, Nesson, here in Boston. Peter's climb to becoming the beat writer at the Globe wasn't an easy one. It kind of took a couple of weird turns, as you'll hear in this segment. Here's Peter Abraham talking about the road he took here on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I certainly, that wasn't my goal when I started out to cover the major leagues. Um, I, I got a job in Norwich, Connecticut. You know, my, my goal was to cover the local high schools and, and to try to, you know, establish myself doing that. And... Uh, sort of one thing led to another and and the person who was covering UConn basketball for us uh he left the paper unexpectedly and my boss you know asked me if I wanted to try to do it and I said sure and uh, UConn had just hired Jim Calhoun as their coach and I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time uh you know I covered UConn's rise under coach Calhoun all the way up until the 99 championship their first championship and uh I kind of used that experience as a springboard to go work at the journal news in, in uh, suburban New York uh, to cover uh, high schools and colleges. But I also got to do uh, the Mets and Yankees and giants and jets. And, and I was sort of a backup uh, pro writer for the other guys on the beats. And that led to me getting the, the, uh, the Mets beat uh, and the Yankees beat and, and covering baseball in New York city was, was a real educational experience. It was like, wasn't like anything I'd ever done before uh, the competition and the day-to-day aspect of it. Um, and I really enjoyed it. it. It was something that suited me well personally. And uh, that's when the, you know, 10 years in the globe uh, was expanding their online coverage and wanted to hire me to help do that. And, and that's what led me to the globe. So, I mean, the advice I always give to students when I talk to them is I don't think that you can have a, a plan and say, okay, I want to be the Celtics beat writer, you know, when I'm 21, I think you just need to be prepared for whatever opportunities will arise. And you may want to cover the NFL. It might turn out that you're, you know, the NBA is the way to go or vice versa. And it's, it's more being prepared for the opportunity. I don't think you can make the opportunity happen and you have to be willing to put in the hours. There, there was a lot of time I worked early on in my career where, you know, it was way more than 40 hours a week. And uh, there were stories that I chased that I, I wasn't paid necessarily to, to maybe you know, drive four hours to watch a recruit play or uh, spend extra time uh, at practice or whatever to get a story. But I did those things because I wanted to put myself in position to when other opportunities came up, they could look back at what I had done and, and say, okay, well, this is the, this is a good person to hire for this job. So it's um, the media business has changed a lot. There's so many opportunities online now with, with different kinds of media. Uh, There were no such things as, 
you know, podcasts and blogs or Zoom or any of that sort of stuff when I started out. So you can make a name for yourself on your own now, but at, at some point to get anywhere, you know, you do need to to, to join a, a company that's putting out a product, whether it's digital or print. And that was Peter Abraham uh, talking about his rise to where he is today as beat writer for the Boston Red Sox for the Boston Globe and on Nesson Television. And uh, it was incredibly to hear that the road went through Stores, Connecticut, of all places, uh, back in the day. Of course, back in the day when he went over there and Coach Calhoun was going there, UConn basketball wasn't really a big thing in New England until Coach Calhoun got there because uh, Jim w brought his flair that he had locally here at BU and through the local schools here in New England and brought that all down and that discipline and that sense of uh, detail to Connecticut. And Peter was very fortunate to work with a guy like Jim Calhoun and certainly in Peter's writing and what he does even in the sports media on Nesson is definitely detail-oriented and attention to detail, and that was a great trait to learn. Um, I remember talking with Phil Coulter, the great singer-songwriter uh, from Northern Ireland, and he, he's the man who wrote uh, uh, The Town I Love So Well, and he talked about uh, honing your craft, and Peter talks about that here. As, as you take your steps in those early days, you have to really keep working on your craft, put the time in, put the effort in. As he mentioned, you know, taking time, four or five hours out of the beating path to, to kind of track down a story or track down a player or find the, the behind the scenes. That, that's all the details that really go into what's a great story and what a great writer uh, can be. And uh, certainly Peter has put that time in, whether it was in Stores, Connecticut, or working in New York for the Yankees and the Mets, uh, covering them. And now today, here uh, in his hometown of Boston, uh, writing for the Globe and working on Nesson on Red Sox baseball, it, it really pays off because guys like him and the late, great Nick Cafardo, which he learned a lot from Nick Cafardo, and I think we all learned a lot from Nick, that you got to put your time in. You have to be detail-oriented. You have to really... You know, really dig deep and uh, put those extra hours in, and I I tend to do that myself, and it's as a broadcaster because it it really does pay off in the end, and uh, that's what it's all about uh, for sure. If you'd like to hear the complete interview with Peter Abraham, head on over to the Irish American Baseball Society page at irishbaseball.org. I'm Jim Ward. I'll be back with you later with a story of another Irish baseball legend. But for right now, let's send you back to my broadcast partner, Rick Becker, here on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks, Jim. Right now, I'm joined by Florida Atlantic head baseball coach John McCormick. How are you doing today, coach? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Over the years, your teams have pulled off some impressive upsets of highly ranked opponents. How do you keep your players from focusing on rankings and big-name programs? Um, well, the thing in baseball is the games come so quickly. So I always preach it's just another game. It's one of 56. Let's just play it. If we win, great. We'll play on Friday. If we don't win, then we'll, we'll work on some stuff and we'll play again on Friday. I, I don't believe in the big game theory. Um, it's one of 56 games on the schedule. Uh, unless I tell this, I said this to a reporter years ago, we went to Gainesville and they were ranked six or seven and we beat them. And the guy's like, is it a big win? I go, not really. It's one win. And it gives us a little bit of a chip 
that we can hand to the committee, quote unquote, when they talk, start talking about at large bids if we don't win the conference. And he goes, you don't think it's a big game? I go, no, it's only a big game is if we won and NCA called me and said, hey, you guys are in, don't worry about the rest of the year. If that happened, then it becomes a huge game. If it, since it didn't happen, it's one at 56 and we move on. It's great for the fans. It's great for the legacy of the program. But within that season, it's one at 56 and we got to move on to the next one. But it does make for a nice bus ride home. You've been with the program for over 30 years. The game's changed a lot in that time, especially with analytics and saber metrics. Do you find those things being incorporated into the college game? 100%. We have analytics. We have um, testing and measuring of uh, the player's bat speed and, and velocity and arm angle and launch angle. We do all of that. Now, me being a little bit old school, we try to dampen as much as we can because the kids are getting the kids, the young men are getting exposed to it at such a young age. And all of that stuff is great, but we're forgetting how to play the game. They're not being taught how to play the game. They're being taught how to throw better. So the metrics look better or they want to swing better. So the metrics look better, but they're not doing it within the game um, because they're not playing uh, as much pure baseball as they did before. That's the one part we have to guard against is I want them to be able to, and you'll see it, you'll see a guy, you go somewhere, you see a guy throw a bullpen and he immediately turns around after each pitch and wants to know what the readings are, right? Or looks up at the scoreboard and looks at the readings. Opposed to being able to feel it, if you can feel it and understand it internally, then you can fix it on the mound. Because during the game, we can't, you can't look up at the scoreboard and see it. And we can't stand there and help you. You have to, you're out there on an island. I'm going to use pitchers. You're out there on an island. You got to be able to solve it yourself. So we try to teach feel, okay, that pitch was good because of what reason? Well, I felt really good coming out of my wrist because of this and what I did with my arm and what I did with my mechanics. And if you can feel it and understand it, then you can correct it in the game. And that's what we want to teach our guys. And then we sprinkle in the analytics. We sprinkle in the metrics to help them a little bit with it. I know some people do do it totally to the other side. And there's a few people still left that do it the other way, that no metrics, no analytics. Those are, those are hard to find because, you know, young people will not go to those schools because of everybody wants that stuff. It used to be winning and pitching well. I'm going to use pitcher again. Then it was velo. Now it's spin rate. Um, what's your spin rate, or what's your spin rate on a breaking ball? And and I wish we would we could turn some of that stuff off um, and let the kids just play baseball and not worry about it. I'm Rick Becker talking with John McCormick, head baseball coach at Florida Atlantic on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Coach, my guess is that you wish you could reverse that and allow the staff to worry about the analytics and have the players just focus on mechanics. Well, the thing about it is, is when they watch them, we, you know, we want them to watch Major League Baseball, but in Major League Baseball, it's all over the screen, Fox and ESPN. It's all, you know, so it's, it's then they say, well, what is my spin rate compared to Trevor Bauer, you know? Um, and of course the internet Twitter has given all that stuff to the young people and they think it's more important than, you know, wins and losses. I, I think someone put it, 
I saw a tweet the other day and someone put it great that I want lions. The problem now is we're creating zoo lions that, you know, that they, that we hand feed the zoo lion, but I want a lion from the Savannah who, who chases down and gets his own food. And he goes, but because of the way we've, we've turned things everybody's a zoo lion, which I thought was, I hope I got the quote right. Um, which is very, you know, very true, you know, because I think a lot of people, even my age are very familiar with the analytics, but didn't have it affect us when we were playing. This stuff wasn't prevalent, for example, when I was in high school and looking to develop my game to try to catch the eye of a college scout. I'm not sure a lot of fans are aware of how much this is dominating the conversation for younger players. Well, the other part is, 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 and if I, if I say this to, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but the analytics and the numbers are really good for lessons and people that are going to make a living off these young, off these kids. Because if, if, if I give pitching lessons or hitting lessons previous to all this, the people just have to trust that they're learning and then it, it translates into a game. Now you turn the machine on and you have documented proof of what they did. And then all of a sudden after a week, oh, this got better. After two weeks, this got better. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for the people that own those places. And I'm not saying it's everybody, but it also has become a really, it's a boon industry, boom industry um, for People were the, now people are making a living off it. And again, it's quantifiable and you can print out a sheet of paper and give it to the parents and go home and they could say, oh man, your spin rate's 2,200. We're, you know, we're off and running, you know? So that's also has been another layer of it where the kids see it on Twitter, the kids see it on a baseball game, but now they go to these places and it's, it's really prevalent. Um, that's a bad thing where athletics has, all athletics has gone to, you know, such a different funding model in terms of or youth model where money becomes more important than playing the game. Can it also sometimes work as a positive, however, where you can show a player? 100%. In a practice situation, you can show, see, this this is working here. And, and we like to use it where if we have the machine on, and a guy throws a good pitch and the spin rate matches up and the, and the access matches up, you go, Hey, that was really good. Take a look. Now remember how it felt to be able to try to mesh both of them. And I think there's some really good things that you say, Hey, I'm throwing 91, but I'm getting hit around. And you could say, well, we got to change this and that. I think there's some really, really good things as long as it's part of the solution and not the solution. You know, not just to say you got to get a better spin rate or you got to change your, you know, your access or your release point, because not everybody, it works for everybody because you do see people that have Chris Sale is one that's been really successful and you certainly wouldn't teach the stuff that he does. Right. Um, so there is a there is a you don't want to cookie cut people and you don't want to change guys uh, because there are people who do have low spin rates, but are very good um, or have different or don't have that, that launch angle and are really good hitters. So I think it's, it's, it's also part of, you have to look at the young man 
And you also have to take into the success of the, of what they're doing in the game and say, okay, let's, let's see how he performs first. And then we can add in some of this stuff opposed to changing something because the numbers don't add up because sometimes the numbers don't add up, but there's success on the field. That was Florida Atlantic head baseball coach John McCormick on the Irish Baseball Podcast. This is the second time Coach McCormick has been on the show. You can hear that previous episode by heading to irishbaseball.org. I'm Rick Becker, turning things over once again to my co-host Jim Ward, who has some Irish-American baseball history. Hi, I'm Jim Ward, and today I'd like to introduce you to an Irish baseball legend named Wee Willie Keeler. William Henry O'Kelleher Jr. was born in Brooklyn in 1872. His parents, William Sr. and Mary, were both immigrants from County Cork. Wee Willie Keeler was not a large man, standing only 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighing 140 pounds. Willie had to rely on his superior hand-eye coordination and back control. Even Willie's bat was small. According to legend, his 30-inch bat was the smallest ever used by a major leaguer. Killer was also an innovator. He perfected the Baltimore chop by swinging down in order to bounce the ball so high that it was almost impossible to throw him out at first base. He could also foul off pitches at will by bunting at them. He was so good at prolonging at bats with foul bunts that they had to change the rule. Today, a two-strike bunt is an out because of Wee Willie Keeler. Keeler batted over 370 for six consecutive seasons from 1894 to 1899, including a league-leading 424 batting average and 239 hits in 1897. For his career, Keeler compiled a batting average of 341 and collected over 2,900 hits with 495 stolen bases. In 1897, Keeler set the major league record with a 44-game hitting streak. The streak was later broken by Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Keeler currently shares the longest hitting streak in the National League with Pete Rose. Keeler's record of eight straight seasons of 200 hits or more was broken by Ichiro Suzuki in 2009. Keeler is perhaps best known for his hitting strategy. When he was asked by a reporter to explain his approach at the plate, Keeler replied, quote, Keep your eye clear and hit them where they ain't, unquote. We Willie Keeler was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1939. And that's the story of Irish baseball legend Wee Willie Keeler on this episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast. That was Jim Ward who started today's episode with a sound clip from Peter Abraham who has covered the Boston Red Sox for the Boston Globe since 2010. For Jim and today's guest, Florida Atlantic head baseball coach John McCormick, I'm Rick Becker with episode 8 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. You've been listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. And remember, there's no place like home.